Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We were distraught last Wednesday when we read this tweet from our friend John Clayton <laughs> on Twitter at John Clayton NFL. I can't believe my wife and I can't watch the Super Bowl because DirecTV and Cox TV can't reach a deal for Channel 7 in Seattle. I've been to 45 Super Bowls, missing my first since 1983. Lowcast has problems connecting. I'm in the Hall of Fame. DirecTV <laughs> is shutting us out. But fortunately, within 24 hours before game time, DirecTV and Cox Communications with the, the station in Seattle reached an agreement. And so John was able to watch the game on DirecTV. He's with us on the Broad and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, John, first of all, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? Good. Good to be back with you. It's always great to hear your voice. All right. Did you have any impact on this? Do you feel like you helped out your greater Seattle compatriots with the, the, the tweet that you made trying to get these people to come to an agreement? Well, it's funny because I know uh, a lot of people kind of made me the face of the battle because I know different stories came out about that because uh, this is not the first time it's happened with DirecTV. Back in uh, November, they took the uh, vaccine, a station I actually worked for, the King affiliate, King 5, the NBC affiliate, and knocked it off for two weeks and so that uh, you couldn't get any of the AFC games. And, of course, uh, that, that didn't go over very well. And so I tweeted out about that, and I had over 1,000 uh, direct messages, and then this one had over 1,000 direct messages. Uh, but it, it, I think it just showed the light of how bad things can get because I know just in the tweets that I was able to receive, I mean, Dish has had these problems. Uh, one station I think was off for six months. Comcast has had these problems. But at least uh, in the end, the responses, you know, some, some were critical, 98% of them were all positive and negative on direct TV. But uh, in the end, it did get done on Saturday night. And then out of that, what ended up happening, I had a lot of people reaching out to me uh, trying to trying to help. And so what happened is somebody was able to allot an engineer to come over with an antenna and put it up. So now I don't have to worry about this again because you figure it's probably going to happen next on the Fox affiliate. Right. Uh, and so it's like uh, at least I had an antenna to have local TV and now for the future. And, of course, if I was able to not have the uh, direct TV on Sunday. That's a Hall of Fame flex, Sean. I love that. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you did get to watch the game because we want to ask you about it. But we first, of course, have to ask you about Tom Brady. You have covered a lot of things throughout your career as it pertains to the NFL. But where does a 43-year-old Tom Brady going to a new team during a pandemic season and winning a Super Bowl rank uh, for you of things that you've seen in your career? Uh, just amazing. I think what it does, it just shows why he is the greatest of all time. Some people started to question it, but what you can see is his focus and his ability in the big games just shown. 
because, you know, you, you can look and I know some of the wide receivers and different players on the team talked about it after the game is that, uh, you know, Tom focused on what some of the weaknesses in the Chiefs defense was, you know, the yards after the catch, some different routes that were going to work against them. And he stressed that all week long and also the running, because, I mean, you look at the way that this team has been this year, even though they've got a load of great running backs, Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, even uh, Shady McCoy, uh, that they didn't run the ball much because they were a 60-40 pass-to-run team. But in this game, you know, they took advantage of the coverage because one thing that you know is that uh, the Chiefs and Steve Spagnola does a good job with the man-to-man coverage. But uh, what he wanted to try to do is get some of the shorter passes that he really didn't do a lot this season and you know, get it into the hands of the receivers or tight ends, Rob Gronkowski or whoever, and then get the yards after the catch. So, again, I think it was the focus, and uh, the players were saying after the game how much he kept on stressing that in the early part of the week when they're starting to have practices. John Clean with us on 101 ESPN. And, John, it's interesting, whenever a great offense gets shut down like Kansas City's was off last night, we hear a lot of, well, now they've shown the league the blueprint. Well, yeah, if you can get pressure with by, by not blitzing with your front four against a diminished offensive line, then you've got the, the blueprint. But not many people have four pass rushers up front as good as Tampa. And how often are they going to face the Kansas City offensive line depleted as it was? It, it seemed to me to be a perfect story for Todd Bowles and the Tampa defense last night, and they deserve tons of credit because they were great. Yeah, I know when I was evaluating it, I kind of underestimated uh, what was going to happen. I knew that there was going to have success because you watched two weeks before against Green Bay that uh, Leonard, uh, they were able to get the great pass rush going because uh, you know they didn't have David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, Pro Bowl left tackle, and they were able to get five sacks on Aaron Rodgers and eight quarterback hits. But this one was even worse because now Chiefs come in there down two tackles because they didn't have Eric Fisher, they didn't have Mitchell Schwartz. You know, they had a rookie starting at the left guard position. You know, they had to take the right guard and put him over uh, as Andrew Wiley at the uh, right at the right tackle position, and so they were really undermanned. And of course, you go back and you know one of their starting guards, Lawrence Duvier. Uh, opted out for the season so he could be involved in medicine up in Canada. And so they were totally depleted to a point they had an offensive line that had four guys who had been cut, only one guy that was drafted and on on that. So you look at the, uh, the line and they just got obliterated. And then, of course, uh, the change that Todd Bowles did, which was amazing because, again, he's a cover one, cover three guy. That uh, you know that got burned in the first game, but he basically played uh, a two deep zone most of the game, and so that took away the deep passes. The rush took away um, Patrick Mahomes, made him scramble to a point where he was pressured 29 of the uh, 57 times that uh, he dropped back. John, we know that anytime Patrick Mahomes is on the field, the team that he's playing for has a chance. But I think last night illustrated just how difficult it is to win a Super Bowl, even with an offense like the Chiefs have and even with someone like Patrick Mahomes. So when you look at the construction of the team, the cap situation that they may have, how open do you think this window is for the Chiefs? I still think it's open because, again, you've got Patrick Mahomes and you still have such great speed at the wide receiver position with Tyreek Hill and uh, Miko Hardman. Uh, so, and of course, they do have a very good running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So now it's just a matter of you know, tightening up that offensive line, 
trying to make sure that uh, they get a little bit better on defense. But what's going to end up happening is that uh, this is going to be the challenge for every team in the National Football League. I know Adam Schefter put out yesterday that the uh, cap is going to be probably 180.5, somewhere between you know 180 and 1.81. And I was just going back over the numbers. And so that basically takes the cap back to 2018. And so when I was looking at that, it's going to be hard for any team to be able to have 10 guys making 10 plus million dollars a year, whether it's on a one-year deal or a multi-year deal. And so there's going to be a lot of juggling. So it's like, okay, you can keep this guy. And this, of course, includes tenders for franchise tags. It includes, you know, uh, if you have a high-paid draft choice or anything of that nature. And that also includes any other big type of deals that you do. And so, you know, he's like, you can maybe do one, but you can't do the other. And adding anybody is going to be very difficult to do, too. John, let's stay with the the cap situation. And obviously already we've had a couple of teams willing, more than willing to take on dead money, the Rams and the Lions with their quarterback trade. Now it looks like Carson Wentz may be on the move. Uh, uh, Two things. Number one, who's willing to take him on that salary? And what will this do for the Eagles with the salary cap hit that they'll have to take? Yeah, it's going to be tough on the Eagles, but it looks like uh, something should happen here in the next couple of days, whether it's going to be the Chicago Bears or it's going to be the Indianapolis Colts. You know, the Colts would be the best fit for Carson Wentz because you got Frank Wright, who was there in two years as the offensive coordinator, even though he didn't call plays, but he worked with Carson Wentz. So he has the confidence that he can build him back. And then, of course, Chicago, you know, they probably will get Nick Foles out in a trade. And you figure this is going to be much much more discounted than the uh, Matthew Stafford. But it's going to be really hard to on the cap because you're talking about more than a $33 million hit with Carson Wentz on the team right now that's $64 million over the cap. So that's going to be very difficult to do. But uh, they've already made two moves. And, again, this goes into that theme of $10 million. You know, Alshon Jeffrey has taken his base salary down to the minimum, and they did the same thing with Malik Jenkins. And so those were two guys making over $10 million a year. They are basically are going to get cut, and then they'll be on the June 1st cut list. But, of course, on that, they have to carry you know, the salary until June 1st. And, uh, you know, so they wanted the salary and the cap as low as possible. So now they're down to seven players. And, of course, if they trade once, they're down to six players that will be making $10-plus million a year. But in the end, uh, something's got to happen. But Howie Roseman is one of the best cap guys in the league, or their general manager, and he'll find a way to get under the cap. But it's not going to be a very good team. They're going to have to make more sacrifices just to get under the cap. John, one more thing about quarterbacks. What happens in your mind with Deshaun Watson in Houston? I don't think he's going to be traded. I mean, again, I know that uh, he's going to want to be traded, uh, but uh, it really, I mean, he's one of the six best quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, they're going to be a bad team, too, because they've got major cap problems. They have nothing left on defense. You know that J.J. Watt's not going to be with the team. Pretty much. And so, but if they trade him, it's going to take them a decade to find a quarterback as good as him. I mean, the two teams are going to be most involved will be the Jets, and maybe they can throw in Sam Darnold, and that gets them a quarterback. But, and they have all the number of two extra first round picks. They can give them the second pick in the draft. So then maybe Houston can take, uh, you know, Justin Fields or Zach Davis or somebody like that. Uh, and they have you know, the two extra picks, first-rounders from Seattle for Jamal Adams, so they can do it. Miami can do it because, basically, they have the first two picks of Houston. 
but uh, and uh, you know a bunch of players that maybe they can throw in too. But in the end, I think Houston will be ill advised to do it. And then Watson has to make a decision: Are you going to walk away from a thirty-nine million dollar a year contract? and uh, not get any money and not get any satisfaction if they don't trade you. John, I promise that would be the last question, but one popped into my mind because you are a Hall of Fame voter, and I, I love the class. I think it's great, but we're keeping an eye on Tory Holt here in St. Louis. How close do you think Tory was or is to becoming a Hall of Famer? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know how close he really was uh, because, again, you know, the, the, the big thing was that uh, you have three first ballot Hall of Famers that came in this year, including Calvin Johnson. And so that means it left only two spots and you figured one of the offensive line that were going to make it. And that was going to be either Alan Fanick or Tony Baselli. And then, uh, you know, John Lynch was finally able to make it after all this time. So now what he's got to hope for is that there's not going to be a big list, you know, a big list of uh, first ballot like we had this year. And so it's uh, still, still a little bit away. And of course, you know, he's battling Reggie Wayne of Indianapolis to try to get a spot, but he's closer, but he's not there yet. John, always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Glad you were able to watch the game yesterday and hopefully we can do this again sometime in the future. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, John. The great John Clayton, the hall of famer with us on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of plugged in with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday. And as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio state losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.